And so we just ask your blessings. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. All right, so you can take your Bibles and you can open them to Matthew chapter 24. Today we're going to be looking at a principle out of Matthew chapter 24. And uh, this is what we do typically at the beginning of every year. We spend a little time, we kind of hit the reset button, and, and uh, it is 2018. Uh, if you're young, that might not seem like a big deal, but if you're not young, you're amazed that we're this deep into history, aren't you? I mean, tw- two th- I mean almost 2,000 years ago, Jesus Christ did what he did for us. I mean, it has just continued, and wow, there is, well, as the Bible says, and as we're going to see, we're ever closer to the end. And I hope that means that you're all ready to get to work. You ready to get to work? All right, Matthew chapter 24. We're going to start in verse number 32. We'll jump right in. Jesus speaking to his disciples. Now learn a parable of the fig tree. When his branch is yet tender and putteth forth leaves, ye know that summer is nigh. So likewise ye, when ye shall see all these things, know that it is near, even at the doors. Verily I say unto you, this generation shall not pass till all these things be fulfilled. This particular passage of Scripture is referred to frequently when people study prophecy and when people want to try and understand the timing and the time frame of the end. And I believe that we are near the end. And so just let's break down these verses that we looked at. First of all, it says, learn a parable. Well, a parable is going to be an illustration. And it's the parable of the fig tree. And we don't have time to prove it right now, but you can do your own Bible study and see for yourself. But the fig tree throughout the Scriptures is going to be a picture of Israel. But it's not Israel in all of its senses. The fig tree is going to represent national Israel. Israel's identity as a political nation. Whereas, on the other hand, for you Bible students, you might recognize that the olive tree also represents Israel, but it represents the spiritual side of Israel. So you go to places like Romans chapter 11, where it talks about the church is grafted in to the olive branch, to the olive tree. And so the olive tree represents spiritual Israel as their walk with the Lord, as the children of God. But national Israel, as a geopolitical nation, is represented as the fig tree. And you see that throughout the scriptures. So it says, now learn the parable, the illustration of the fig tree. Really what he's talking about is Israel. It says, when his branch is yet tender and putteth forth leaves. Now God uses the physical to illustrate the spiritual. And so when a tree is beginning to sprout new branches and new sprouts and new leaves, when does that happen? Well, that happens in the springtime. Okay, so the winter, like we're experiencing now, right, it is the time when plants experience a death. It it is a time of the leaves die and fall off, and there's no new growth in the wintertime. And then when the springtime comes, it's exciting because new things begin to grow. So the tree begins to blossom, right, in the springtime, after the winter death. And so what we're going to be looking at is, the context is the nation of Israel and her branches tender and putteth forth leaves, there's going to be a resurrection of the national identity. Not their spiritual identity. They're not the people of God, the Israelites. Not yet. But there's a national identity. And that national identity began to put forth leaves in 1948, when the nation of Israel became once again an internationally recognized political nation after nearly 1,900 years of winter death. 
in that, st- in that state. And so it says, when you see these things, the fig tree putting forth leaves, when you see the nation of Israel's national identity beginning to emerge again, in other words, when you see 1948 roll by, right, know that it is near. Well, you'd have to take some time and go back into Matthew 24 earlier to get what the it is. The it is the context of the entire chapter, which really deals with the end and the tribulation. And you can see that in just a few verses. So if you glance down at Matthew 24 and verse 3, And as he sat upon the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately, saying, Tell us, when shall these things be, and what shall be the sign of thy coming, and of the end of the world? This is the context of the dissertation that Jesus gives then to answer that question in verse number 3. And you see these things repeated over and over again. For example, in verse 21, For then shall be, here's the key, great tribulation, such as was not since the beginning of the world, to this time no nor ever shall be. Or in verse 29, Immediately after the tribulation of those days shall the sun be darkened and the moon shall not give her light and the stars shall fall from heaven and the powers of heaven shall be shaken and then shall appear the sign of the Son of Man in heaven and etc., etc., etc. We're talking about it is near when you see these things happen. When you see the, the tree putting forth these tender branches and leaves, it, the end, is near. How near is it? Well, it tells you this generation shall not pass until all these things be fulfilled. This generation, which generation? The generation that sees the fig tree come out of its winter and enter into the spring. The generation that sees the tender branch put forth leaves. That's the generation that he's referring to. In other words, it is the generation of 1948 it's 2018 how long is a generation in the bible well there's different numbers that people would draw some would say it's 120 years some would say it's 100 years some would say it's 70 years some would say it's 40 years there's different ways that people measure generations and so you know there's conversations that go along with that but let me just tell you The days of a man will not exceed 120 years, and generally, once we have crossed the line of the flood of Noah, right, what we see is what God describes in Psalms 90 and verse number 10, where he says, again, this is a couple thousand, 3,000 years ago, the days of our years are threescore years and ten. A score is twenty. So three score and 10 is 70. The average typical lifespan is about 70 years, King David said back then. And if by reason of strength they be four score years, yet is there strength and labor and sorrow for it is soon cut off and we fly away. So generally speaking, biblically speaking, an entire generational lifespan is going to be between 70 and 80 years. The typical number is labeled right at 70. Do you know how many years it's been since 1948, class? It's 2018. Do the math. It's 70 years. It's 70 years this year. Now, before we go on, just let that sink in. Just let it sink in. We are entering into the year that marks the 70th year 
from when the fig tree put forth the tender branch and leaves. Are you saying, no, I'm not saying anything yet. I'm just helping you understand the context of where we are at in history, which hopefully then will motivate you to be, like I placed our title in this message, to have some urgency and some focus for 2018. Because however it plays out, right, it's near. That's what it says. It's near. Now, I want you to understand that it does not say in Matthew 24, the next generation will not begin until all these things come to pass. It does not say the next generation will not begin. Uh, You might mark 40 years. Okay, so the next generation begins with the next round of children that are born. So if you wanted to use the number 40 in the Bible, like after about 30 or 40 years, we got a whole new crop of kids coming up, you would say that's their generation. Well, certainly there's been at least one, if not two, generations that have begun, while yet there are still some people who are with us today who were with them back in 1948, right? Thank God for all of you. So... It does not say there won't be another generation begin. It just says that the generation of 1948 will not pass. That means that until the time of this tribulation and all the events of the tribulation until the visible, physical return of Jesus Christ, yes, seven years prior there is a rapture, that there will be somebody, there will be at least one last man standing who's still alive from the 1948 generation, who will see all these things come to pass. Now, all I've done is read to you. I haven't interpreted anything. I've just helped you to understand exactly what Jesus Christ was telling his disciples who asked the question, how do we know when it's coming? Okay, this is kind of how you know. This is what the Bible says. So the very next verse in Matthew 24, he just says, heaven and earth shall pass away, but my words shall not pass away. God said it. He meant it. It means something. So in your notes, I want you to know this. God is warning us. It's near. It's near, y'all. I mean, do you really have long-term plans for yourself? I want you to consider these things. So there is a common mindset. And he tells us about it. We're continuing in Matthew 24 and verse 36. But of that day and hour knoweth no man. When is it, Jeff? I don't know. Of course I don't know. Neither do you. Knoweth no man. No, not the angels of heaven, but my Father only. But, verse 37, as the days of Noah were, so shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. For as in the days that were before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage, until the day that Noah entered into the ark, and knew not until the flood came and took them all away. So shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. So the days of Noah are characterized directly in this passage of Scripture as being busy. I mean, they're just busy living life. They're not expecting the flood to come. Yes, Noah was standing up. He was a preacher of righteousness for a hundred years. They weren't paying attention to Noah They were busy. They were eating. They were drinking. They were marrying. They were given in marriage. They were living a busy life. They were preoccupied. 
They were distracted. God's righteousness, God's accountability was not on their radar in the days of Noah. So shall it be in the days of the end. So Peter reminds us in his last epistle, in the last chapter, 2 Peter 3, and verse number 3, knowing this first, that there shall come in the last days scoffers, walking after their own lusts, and saying, where is the promise of his coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of the creation. You ever meet any people like that? You ever talk about the times of the end and we're near the end and all that sort of thing and you meet people? I don't care if they're in church or out of church. You ever meet people like that and they're just like, oh yeah, we've been hearing that all this time. People have been talking about the end all this time. People keep setting dates and they're all wrong. He hasn't come yet. I got plenty of time. Okay, thank you for confirming that the Bible's true because that's what God said there's going to be, right? Look, yes, we have waited a long humankind has waited and continues to wait for these events. But listen, y'all, you can take it to the bank. He will come. He absolutely will come. He is warning us it is near. Why hasn't he come yet? Well, a little further down in 2 Peter 3, he tells us in verse 9, the Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering to us word, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. If you came to know the Lord as your Savior in 2017, for example, aren't you glad He didn't come back in 2016? If you came to know the Lord in 2016, aren't you glad He didn't come back in 2015? Go back as far as you want to. I'm glad he didn't come back in 1982. <laughs> I got saved in 1983. I mean, okay, so he's long-suffering and he hasn't come back yet because he loves mankind and wants to give us every opportunity in the world to respond and to repent and to change. But don't kid yourself. The very next verse in 2 Peter, but the day of the Lord will come. It'll come as a thief in the night in which the heavens shall pass away with a great noise and the elements shall melt with fervent heat and the earth also and the works that are therein shall be burned up. So don't kid yourself. The Lord is on time and he's giving us time so that people will repent. But there is coming a time and it will be sure. So we've got this warning. And if ever this warning has been applicable, y'all, it is applicable to us in 2018. What should our response be? Well, the Apostle Paul tells us exactly what our response should be. Romans 13 and verse 11. And that knowing the time, okay, well now you're all in that category, that now it is high time to awake out of sleep. For now is our salvation nearer than when we believed. The night is far spent, the day is at hand. That's the day of the Lord. Let us therefore, that we know all this stuff, change the way we live. Cast off the works of darkness. Let us put on the armor of light. Let us walk honestly as in the day, not in rioting and drunkenness, not in chambering and wantonness, not in strife and envying. Put ye on the Lord Jesus Christ and make not provision for the flesh to fulfill the lust thereof. Man, we could just camp right here and talk about this verse the whole rest of the time. 
Man, y'all, I mean, this is your lucky day. I'm not preaching on this passage. I mean, just read it and learn what the English words mean and then stop doing that stuff. Okay? Quick sermon number one. You know the time. Now's the time to stop it. And, Ephesians 5, 14, similarly, Wherefore he saith, Awake thou that sleepest, and arise from the dead, and Christ shall give thee light. See then that ye walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time. Because the days are evil. And the days are evil. And we need to redeem the time. So what I want us to do is start out 2018 with this renewed urgency, with a renewed focus on obeying the Lord while He has yet granted us, graciously granted us, time. You have time now. You don't know about tomorrow. You don't know about the next day. Two main points I want to help you understand, and we'll be done for today. This is it. First one, determine your priorities. Listen, y'all, I put this together this week prayerfully to be very, very practical. I want to give you some handles. I want to help you to see and understand how you can make this a reality, how you can reason through the decisions that you have in front of you. And can I just say, I, I really understand this, that First Baptist Church is not for everyone. It's not everybody's cup of tea. I get it. I wish it was. Everyone is welcome. Um, people online, everybody's welcome. <laughs> I've never done that. I've always wanted to do that. Everybody's welcome. We welcome anybody. I mean, look, a lot of you are weird. You're welcome. <laughs> I'm weird. I mean, come on. It's awesome. So, but not everybody loves it. Not everybody wants to be a part of what we got going on. Listen, there's a lot of, not everybody loves what we offer. And there's a lot of churches out there, and there's a lot of churches that do a lot of good things, and they do a lot of things better than we do them. But there's some things about our church that God made us how he made us. He made us who he made us. He gifted us the way he gifted us so that we can serve him, so that we can serve you, so that we can serve the world. And that's who we are. But in, in the midst of these things, I want you to ask yourself some questions. And these are the questions that are in your notes. It's not going to take a long time to walk through these. I want you to think through your priorities. Do you want to know what God says? Do you really want to know what God says or do you want to just come to church? Because those are two entirely different priorities. Those are two entirely different driving motivations. Some people just want to go to church. They've always been in church. It's a cultural thing. It's a good thing. It's, there's a lot of good reasons why you want to be in church. You want to raise your kids in church. You want to meet nice people. Uh, there's all kind of nice ways. You just, you just kind of get your church on and you feel like, hey, you know, I did a good deed for the day, kind of like a Boy Scout or whatever, and, and I feel good. I feel good. I'm not making fun of you. I promise I'm not. Some people, that's kind of all they're invested. But some people, they actually want to know what God says. That takes work. Some people actually are interested in really and truly understanding the Bible. They understand that it's God's revelation to man. And they want to know what God said so they don't have to be confused about what any man says God says. Because in this day and time, there's tons of men saying what God say. 
and God didn't say what they said he said. Right? Next question, do you want to be trained to be an effective minister? Or you just kind of want to do your own thing and attach Jesus' name to it? Because those are two entirely different priorities. Those are two entirely different groups of people. There are groups of people who are just like, man, leave me alone. Who do you think you are? Everybody's got to do everything the way you do it. No. I just want to do my, okay, well, good luck. There's a lot of people out there doing whatever in the world they want to do, and they say all the time, God told me. You ever meet those folks? God told me, and then they go do something contrary to the Word of God. And you're like, oh, okay, I don't think so. Because God does not operate contrary to His Word, Right? And so, you know, there's just a lot of confusion and a lot of foolishness that exists in the world today. And so, is it a priority for you to be trained to be effective? Are you actually interested in reproducing the life of Jesus Christ in others? Do you know how to do that? Are you actually interested in raising spiritual children to full maturity so that they can reproduce the life of Jesus in others? Are you interested in that? Don't you think it takes some work to prepare yourself to get ready to be able to do that? Let me ask you a question. Are you a pragmatist? I am. That literally just means that you're interested in the results. You're interested in the end. You're interested in the end game. What do I have to do in order to actually produce fruit that will remain for eternity? Well, I have to be trained is what I have to do. I have to learn what God says in order to be able to do that. Third question. Do you want to get involved in our community? Or do you want to just leave that to us professionals? Because there's a lot of people who just want to leave it to the professionals, which tongue-in-cheek professionals, right? I mean, people just say, well, that's why we pay the preacher. He needs to go do all that stuff. I mean, we're, by the way, the people who say that don't actually pay much. <laughs> Can I say that? <laughs> a little tip for you there. The people who are really bearing the load of the pay-in are also out there doing it, generally speaking. Um, do you want to get involved in your community? Listen, there's a lot of wonderful people, and this is a great community, that want to get involved in the community. They want to help underprivileged people. They want to help hurting people. They want to help people who are struggling with different things, and, and we have a lot of different ways. The church has a history of doing that kind of thing, and we can help get you plugged in to real life-on-life life ministry, making a difference in the lives of real people in our community, and in around the world. But you know what that's going to take? It's going to take you being trained. You know how you're going to be trained? You've got to know what God says. See how it all fits together? Are these actual priorities? I know many of you already have them, but maybe not everybody does. But if you care about others enough to actually get involved, and I know not everybody's in that category. How do you know that? Well, I know that because we have a whole lot more people that show up on Sunday morning and sit all facing the same direction and listen to somebody talk and then leave and never come back and never get involved and never serve and aren't a part of a midweek group and don't go out and they don't do those things. They just come and listen. They want to get their church on. That's all. And so, you know, maybe this is you. I don't know. I'm just asking you a question. I'm just ringing the bell. I'm just telling you this year marks 70 years from 1948 and that the Lord will return one day. Is it today? Is it tomorrow? Is it in seven, ten years? I don't know. It ain't going to be long. It's near. And that's something you need to understand. I think the question you should, each and every one of you should ask yourself is, do my priorities line up with God's priorities for me? Right? 
And if not, then, you know, well, then you deal with it. I mean, it's, it's his word. I'm not judging you. I'm just asking the question. I'm trying to help you. What do you want to learn? What do you want to do? How about this? How would you like the Lord to find you on the day he does return? Assume you are still alive and breathing when that day comes, and the odds are very high for most all of us. We will still be alive and breathing when he comes and splits the sky and calls us out. How would you like for him to find you? What will he find you doing when that day comes? And if that kind of gets, you know, gets on your radar, can I just remind you, he already knows what you're doing now, having not actually physically arrived yet, right? So this is really practical. And what you need to do is you just need to be honest with yourself. You need to be honest with your family. You need to be honest for sure with the Lord. And just determine your priorities. Because if you know what you want, where are you going to find it? Well, these things that I described are things that, quite frankly, First Baptist Church has always excelled in doing. We have historically excelled at teaching the Word of God thoroughly and accurately. We have historically excelled at training people to do the work, work of the ministry, and we have historically excelled at reaching out into our community and to the world with the gospel. So you determine your priorities, and number two, you're going to understand your opportunities. Because once you know what your priorities are, now you know what you want. Once you clarify before your own heart and before the Lord the things that you really and truly are interested in, now that you know the time and you're aware of the time in which we live and that we're running out of it quickly, well, now you need to realize, okay, so what do I do with it? This morning is very, very practical. We're going to talk about some things this Sunday that we have talked about many, many times. If you are a regular in this church, it's just good review for you, okay? But if you are fairly new to our church, then man, this is a really good day because you get to understand what makes us tick and what we are all about and what are some of the driving values and statements that we have and why do we do the things that we do around here. I get it, FBC's not for everyone, but at least take a look under the hood and see what we got going on and why we do it. So, we have a mission statement. And our mission statement is worded this way. The mission of FBC is to make a difference in the lives of people. Now, a lot of people would say that, and, and men mean it. We want to actually do things that cause real change, for the good, of course, in the lives of people. We get that from the little book of Jude, right? In verse number 22, there's only one chapter. And of some have compassion making a difference well how exactly are we going to carry that out well the our mission statement continues with we seek to love as jesus loved grow in the grace and knowledge of him and share his message with the world we have chosen to state it that way obviously for a reason and then this is statements in your notes that three key words three key pillars love grow share provide the balance needed to walk with god they provide the balance you need to walk with God. Use a physical illustration. If you lose your balance, you fall down. You can't walk anymore if you can't keep your balance. You need to be able to keep your balance. These three things are the three things that will keep you balanced. I have found in my life with the Lord that the times that things get out of whack, the times that, that I get messed up, the times that I get off track, 
are not because I'm diving into gross sin, I promise. They're because I get out of balance. I so overemphasize one thing, and I have forgotten about a whole other thing. And when I totally forget about all that, I find myself in so much trouble, i got to say, man, I'm really sorry, Lord. Please forgive me. I, I hit the reset button, and I come back to the center, and I find the balance, and then I begin to walk. These are the things that give you the balance you need so that you can walk with God. So we're just going to break them down, and that's going to be the message today. The first one is love. Love is all about every member fulfilled. Every member being fulfilled because that's what love does. So Matthew chapter 22, verses 36 to 40. Master, which is the great commandment in the law? Jesus said unto him, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy mind. This is the first and great commandment. And the second is like unto it. Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. If you want basically a one or two sentence summary of the entire Old Testament, there it is. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. And that's what the Lord desires. Listen, guys, you know right? Talk is cheap. I mean, you know that your wife does not accept that you just say that you love her if your actions don't prove it every once in a while. She expects to see some behavior that actually demonstrates that what you're saying is what you really mean. Yo, been there? Okay, so you blow it, you're like, well, you know, uh, listen, I told her I loved her on our wedding day, and I'll tell her different if it ever changes. No, that doesn't work. (laughs) She expects to see some stuff, right? She wants you to show it regularly, consistently. So, in other words, I put it this way, love tangibly. Love in a way that is demonstrable. So we'll break it down into love God and love people. Loving God, right? Certainly God is serious about this. The man comes and says, what's the great commandment in the law? And what does he say? Well, this first and great commandment is love the Lord thy God. That's what it's all about. So ask yourself this question. How do you, I mean, do you, I mean, let me ask you this way. Do you think that the God who said all of that is paying attention to see whether or not you are doing things to show that you love him? You think he cares? (laughs) I think he cares, right? So how exactly, what exactly is he looking for? How exactly would that look? Well, very simply, I think it has to do with giving rather than receiving. The Lord is so good, we could never outgive him And he gives to us all the time, and it's his joy to give to us, and it is our joy to receive from him the greatest things ever, right? But I think that if you're really going to demonstrate love, you're going to be a giver, right? You're going to be a giver. And so there's two key things that we're going to talk about. The first is, letter A, give your time. Give your time. We spend time with people that we truly love. We schedule our lives so that we can spend time with the people that we love. It's enjoyable. We look forward to it. We can't wait until the next opportunity. 
And when we do spend time with people we really love, when they have something to say, we're actually genuinely interested in hearing what they have to say, right? Because the times that you just spend time with somebody you're supposed to love and the times that you're really not interested in hearing what they have to say, well, you're really not acting very loving at that time, are you? You're really not. And so this is kind of how it works. We know that it works in our interpersonal relationships, right? So how can we tangibly demonstrate that kind of love for the Lord? Well, I've got one super simple suggestion that should be on your calendar if it's not. And that is read through the Bible this year. Every year we give you in the bulletins, we put on our website, it's on our Facebook page, a read through the Bible program. If you have, not be, if you have never systematically read through the entire Bible, if, there is, if you've been saved five years or more, I'll give you that. I'll give you the first five just to figure it out. That's really too much, but just for the sake of conversation. <laughs> I mean, if you've been saved five years or more, and there is a page in your Bible that your eyeballs have never crossed, well, you need to fix that. It's time to fix it. You need to read every word of God is pure, and he, he gave his life so that we could have this, which is his very soul, his mind, his will, his emotions, his desires. Everything for us is written. If you're going to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength and not have it just be a bunch of words, well, then you're going to make time to listen to what he has to say. And you're actually going to like it and you're actually going to be excited about it and you're actually going to enjoy it. God Almighty wants to speak to me today. And I know it's like exercise, it's like anything else. When you get up in the morning and you're supposed to go to the gym and a lot of mornings you're like, I just don't want to. That's the way it is sometimes. You'll wake up and not always just want to read. But after you go to the gym, you're like, I'm so glad I did. After you read the Word, you're like, I'm so glad I did. How did I ever talk myself out of that one? Oh, it's called the flesh. It's called the flesh. That's what it's called. So man, I mean, think how God's heart rejoices when you prioritize time just you and him if you're not on a reg and some of you said well i've done that um do it again and do it again and do it again right okay so you're married and you've been married a long time and you're like i talked to her last year <laughs> i talked to her last year I talked to her in 1987. <laughs> I don't need to talk to her. Look, come on, man. It just doesn't work that way. It's just an ongoing conversation. That's all it is. You might say, well, man, I mean, we're going to be together forever. We got plenty of time. Okay, that is true, and praise God for that. But can I remind you of something Jesus said to Thomas, his disciple, in John 20, 29. He said, Thomas, because thou hast seen me, thou hast believed, but blessed are they that have not seen and have yet believed. In other words, don't you think there's just something a little extra special 
in the heart of the Lord that when you who have yet to see him physically make time to spend with him anyway, even now, of course you'll have forever, which will just be awesome. But man, you make time even now, and he's like, yeah, man, that's great. That's fantastic. That's what he's looking for, man. Man, show him tangibly that you love him in that way. Give your time. And then secondly, give your treasures. Give your treasures. I'm going to set the context in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, starting in verse 2. Talking about the churches of Macedonia, it says, How that in a great trial of affliction, the abundance of their joy and their deep poverty abounded unto the riches of their liberality, or generosity, you might say. For to their power I bear record, yea, and beyond their, their power, they were willing of themselves, praying us with much entreaty that we would receive the gift and take upon us the fellowship of the ministering to the saints. These are churches that lived in abject poverty that collected funds to send to Paul the missionary. And Paul probably had more cash in his pocket than these churches did. And he said, look, keep your money. You guys, God bless you. You have the right attitude, but you probably need it more than I do. And they said, no, you don't understand. We beg you, please take the gift. We desire the fellowship of the ministry with you even more than we desire the things we might need for our lives. They're begging them out of their poverty and their great generosity that flowed out of that. That's the context of giving. Now jump down to verse 7. Therefore, as ye, church, abound in everything, okay, this is the Corinthian church, as ye abound in everything, in faith and utterance and knowledge and in all diligence and in your love to us, see that ye abound in this grace also, the giving thing. And then he goes on and he says, look, I speak not by commandment. You don't have to. Nobody's tackling you and ripping your wallet out of your pocket. Nobody's garnishing your wages. Not happening. You don't have to. But by occasion, there's an opportunity of the forwardness of others. Oh, and to prove the sincerity of your love. And there's just something about the Lord that, you know, the wallet, th there's like a nerve connected to the heart. <laughs> Not exactly sure how that works. But there's something about, you know, put your money where your mouth is. There's something about you invest in things that matter to you. You spend money on things that you love. Everybody does that. Everybody knows that, right? So in other words, I put this in your notes, invest your God-given resources in God-driven work. It is God who gives you the ability to make wealth, it says in Deuteronomy. You have what you have because of the generosity and kindness of God who allows you to breathe free air, has gifted you with talents and health and abilities, has placed you in the most wealthy country on the planet at this time in history and has blessed you beyond measure. So you say, I've worked for my money. Of course, I'm sure you have worked. But if God didn't give you what he gave you, you couldn't even work. Invest your God-given resources in God-driven work and prove the sincerity of your love. I don't know about you, but when Jesus Christ splits the sky and I see him face to face, I want him to know 
tangibly that I cared. And you can look at my checkbook ledger to see it. I want them to know that. So that's what you need to do. Go home. Not until not I'm done. <laughs> look at your checkbook. I mean, really look at it, man. I mean, just look at it. Do you spend money on God? Do you spend a little? Do you spend a lot? Oh, how about this? How about if you knew? We don't. Pretend you did. Pretend you knew. 2018 is it. The Lord's calling us home in September. <laughs> Pretend that's the case. Don't get me wrong. Don't leave here saying I said something I didn't say. <laughs> Let's say you knew that you had nine more months and that was it. Would you spend your money different? It's just something to think about. Love the Lord thy God with our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And love people. So again, now the second greatest commandment, right? Love your neighbor as yourself. And it's similar to the first. Why is that? Because God's crowning creation, mankind, originally created in His likeness and in His image, our treatment of people is a reflection of our treatment of God. It just is. And so a snapshot of the judgment, and this is one aspect of the judgment, and trust me, Bible students, I understand the doctrinal context of Matthew 25. There's a sheep and a goat's judgment, and starting in verse 34, I just want you to notice the correlation that Jesus makes. Then shall the king say unto them on his right hand, Come, ye blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungered, and you gave me meat. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you took me in. Naked, and ye clothed me. I was sick, and ye visited me. I was in prison, and ye came unto me. Man, think if the Lord said that to you. The righteous, what, what are they going to do? Then shall the righteous answer him saying, Lord, now these people are righteous. When saw we thee and hungered and fed thee? Or thirsty and gave thee drink? And when saw we thee a stranger and took thee in or naked and clothed thee? Or when saw we thee sick or in prison and came unto thee? I don't remember that we ever did that. And the king shall answer and say unto them, Verily I say unto you, and here's the, here's the punchline, Inasmuch as you've done it unto the one of the least of these, my brethren, you've done it unto me. You've done it unto me. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. Notice, we don't have no problem loving ourselves. We love ourselves just fine. Ramp up the neighbor to that level and you'll be doing pretty good. So in other words, come and get involved. Get to know people. And don't keep your distance. Don't just stay back in the corners and come late and leave early and not get to know anybody. Life is about relationships, y'all. Yes, it's messy. Yes, people are stupid. <laughs> yes. It'll get ugly. You'll get dirty. Yes but it's critical to your life with the Lord. It's critical to your usefulness in ministry. So in your notes, I put this point of hopefully remembrance. A life group provides the opportunity to love others. So we, I'm, it's not a big sales pitch. A lot of you know this, and if you don't know this, you should know this. We have midweek small groups that meet on our campus. Some are on Tuesday, some are on Wednesday. 
And you can find out more about those in the lobby. You can find out more about those in your bulletin at any given time. But there's fewer people that come to life groups than there are that come on a Sunday morning. You're all welcome whenever you want, of course. But if you're not involved in a life group, you're missing out on all the personal interaction opportunities with other Christians of this body. Oh, and through that also we channel community outreach. I mean, all the real hands-on, get dirty, love people, pray for them, care, serve with them, meet their needs, know, go through all that stuff. That all happens not in the big group. It happens in the small group. Man, be a part of the small group. Go home, look at your checkbook. But also, man, look at your calendar. Are you really scheduled that tight? And the things that, are scheduled you, that have scheduled you so tight that you can't show up one other time to get involved in the lives of people which demonstrate your love for people, which is just like loving the Lord, you can't find time for that. I'd say you're scheduled too tight. I'd say that you're prioritizing things that, well, maybe you don't need to necessarily have. I mean, just consider these things. These are the opportunities to establish your love relationship. Okay, letter B, grow. Every member informed. We'll move quicker through these last couple. Every member informed. The ways that you're going to do that, number one, attend faithfully. So Sunday morning, like you're here, congratulations. Uh, At First Baptist Church, we value what we call expository preaching. We take the passage of Scripture and we expose what it says. We study the Scriptures verse by verse, chapter by chapter, book by book. And we literally take books of the Bible. Starting next week, I don't have time to go through this. Starting next week, we'll do a full-blown introduction into the next book of the Bible that we will be camping out at for at least a year. It'll be the book of 1 Corinthians. Why are we going to get into the book of 1 Corinthians? Because we live in the time of Laodicea, those of you that know what that means. The last church before the end, Revelation 3. The Laodicean church, the time in which we live, is characterized as a ridiculously selfish church. Generally speaking, that's how the Lord sees his body, the church. Now, the the first Corinthian letter is written to the Corinthian church who was behaving in a ridiculously selfish way. And so we can learn the lessons that we need to learn in these last minutes of the last days to not make the mistakes that they made. That's why we're going to study that book. And let me just read several verses, 1 Corinthians 10, 1 through 12, to give you the idea of why we're jumping into this book study, which will be a lot of fun, by the way. 1 Corinthians 10, Moreover, brethren, I would not that you should be ignorant, how that all our fathers were under the cloud and all passed through the sea. So Paul's writing to the Corinthian church. He's talking about the, the, the patriarchs of the nation of Israel, right? All were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea, and all did eat the same spiritual meat, and all did, did all drink the same spiritual drink, for they drank of that spiritual rock that followed them, and that rock was Christ. But with many of them God was not well pleased, for they were overthrown in the wilderness. Now these things were our examples, to the intent that we should not lust after evil things as they also lusted. Neither be ye idolaters as some of them, As it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. Neither let us commit fornication as some of them committed and fell in one day three and twenty thousand. Neither let us tempt Christ as some of them also tempted and were destroyed of serpents. Neither murmur ye as some of them also murmured and were destroyed of the destroyer. Now all these things happen unto them for in samples, and they are written for our admonition 
upon whom the ends of the world are come. 2018. Wherefore, let him that thinketh he standeth take heed lest he fall. So just as historically Paul wanted the Corinthians to learn from the bad example mistakes of the nation of Israel in the wilderness and to not repeat those mistakes, so I believe the Lord wants us to learn from the mistakes of the Corinthian church and not repeat their mistakes, right? There's nothing new under the sun. But let me tell you something. If you attend faithfully and you follow these lessons, you'll grow. You will learn real-life principles that will help you navigate life in Laodicea. Okay, attend faithfully. Number two, learn systematically. And to learn systematically just means that you need to be in a system of studying the Bible. And studying means more than just reading. We said read through the Bible. Do that. Have one-on-one communication with the Lord. But study. This is the issue of discipleship. And we are all about biblical discipleship around here. And the Lord is all about biblical discipleship, by the way, as well. And we have a proven system of discipleship that we've been running for about 30 years in this church. And it absolutely works. I'm telling you, we take it very seriously. And I don't think it's unfair to say we do a pretty good job of it. Uh, The Lord calls us to be disciple makers. Matthew 28, 19. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Ghost. Right, Teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I've commanded you. And lo, I am with you all, waving to the end of the world. Amen. And so Jesus is all about us teaching others and making disciples of all peoples of this world. And so if you have not yet taken advantage of, we, we start the very elementary levels. We call it personal discipleship. We do it one-on-one. We'll assign you somebody as a personal mentor, and they will help you. And you'll walk through the fundamentals of the faith. You finish that, we've got another level of ministry tools and training classes. You finish that, you want to keep going? We've got our own in-house Bible institute. We've got stuff for you. We've got plenty of stuff. We've got enough to take you from the cradle to the grave in your spiritual walk with the Lord. I mean, we can teach you anything you need to learn so that ultimately you can actually become ordained and sent out as a pastor and a leader of new works for the Lord. And we ordained two men in 2017. That was awesome, right? And there's more guys working towards that in their lives. So these are opportunities you have to grow. Love, grow, share. These are the things that help us keep our balance. So the last one is share. Every member engaged. Every member engaged. Look, you can't just sit and eat and eat and eat and eat and never exercise. It's just not healthy. It's just not healthy. So, spiritually speaking, God tells us that thing in 1 Timothy 4, verse 7. But refuse profane and old wives' fables, and exercise thyself rather unto godliness. For bodily exercise profiteth little, but godliness is profitable unto all things, have a promise of the life that now is, and of that which is to come. So the word of God, most certainly, is our spiritual food, and you come and you take it in, and you take it in, and you take it in, but if you never give it out, if you're never exercising the things that you have learned, You're just a spiritual fatty, and you're just not healthy. And then before you know it, you know, your ankles hurt, and, you know, your back is sore, and you can't get a good night's sleep. And, well, get busy, man. I mean, start doing some exercise, right? And that's just what the Lord wants us to do. So in 2018, I would like for you all to consider to serve purposefully. Purposefully. Serve on purpose. Find a purpose that matters and get involved. 
So we don't have time, but in your bulletin, there is a sheet, the one that's a different color, and it has opportunities for service. So just take that and look at that. Do we have a slide for that with all the different service opportunities or not? Is that one of them? You don't have it. Right on. Okay, so just look at your insert. And, and there's ways that you can serve the church body. And there's ways that you can serve the community. So these are opportunities that we already have in place where you can share God's love and God's word with other people. You're like, I don't know where to start. I don't know where to go. Well, just come get involved. If you get involved, you'll keep your balance, right? You will love the Lord, you will grow in His Word, and you will share His message with the world. It'll keep your balance, you'll walk with the Lord, and it will help you. And at the bottom of that list, in your little handout, it says, Each one reach one. The idea is, can you, will you seriously, prayerfully ask God to lead you to somebody where you can share the gospel with them, that they would be saved, they would come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ in 2018? Can each one of you lead one person, each one reach one person for Jesus Christ in 2018? Do that, and we just doubled our capacity. We just doubled our capacity. This is what it's all about. This is why we're here. If you know what you really want, determine your priorities, right? In light of knowing the time, 2018 prophetically and knowing the opportunities that are made available to you through this church well let's just go for it i mean let's just do it man let's just do this thing together and if you're here and you know what i've been saying kind of you know i've said this before it's one of my favorite little sayings if it rubs your fur the wrong way first off you are always welcome i mean that you're welcome to hide in the crowd and just check us out for a while until your heart is ready. It truly is. But if what the Lord is saying through His Word rubs your fur the wrong way, you might want to consider turning the cat around. <laughs> Rub the fur the right way, because you're pointed. Okay, you got it. So, it's time, y'all. I'm just, listen, I believe that the Lord is screaming at us through His Word. There isn't much time left. There isn't much time left. What are you doing? Do you care? Because at the end of the day, he will come one day, and he's going to surprise a whole bunch of people. And when it happens, there's going to be a bunch of people that will be like, ah, I knew it. <laughs> there will be people in that category. Don't you be one of them. Don't you be one of them. We're going to end with this, Matthew 24. It's kind of our theme, Matthew 24. Verse 45, Who then is a faithful and wise servant whom the Lord hath made ruler over his household to give them meat in due season? Blessed is that servant whom his Lord, when he cometh, shall find so doing. Doing what? Doing whatever the Lord asked you to do. Verily I say unto you that he shall make him ruler over all his goods. But and if that evil servant shall say in his heart, the attitude of the evil servant, My Lord delayeth his coming. Where is the promise of his coming? For since the fathers fell asleep. And shall begin to smite his fellow servants and to eat and to drink with the drunken. The Lord of that servant shall come in a day when he looketh not for him. And in an hour that he is not aware of. 
and shall cut him asunder and appoint him his portion with the hypocrites. And there shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Let me ask you a question seriously. And don't even say it out loud. Don't even, I mean, just individually, truthfully before the Lord Jesus Christ. Do you truthfully really expect the Lord to call us home in 2018? I'm not judging at all. I'm just asking the question. Do you really think 2018 could be the year? Because there's people who would say no. If in your heart of hearts you would be like, yeah, I don't think so. Well, then wouldn't that be a good year for it? Because he will come in a year when you expect it not. Isn't that what he just said? Just when you're so sure it wouldn't happen? I don't know. know. You roll the dice. I don't have that much faith. I'm just going to get in line now. I'm just going to get ready now. Well, what if he doesn't come back? What if you live to be an old man? Well, then I live to be an old man serving the Lord. Yeah. That would be awesome. There's nothing better you can give your life to. Let's pray together.